You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Um, today, 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 I don't know. I'm going to look at a couple different things here. Um, not feeling in a bad mood, so don't don't worry. No reason to hide. Um, I did want to remind you, uh, only because I don't know if it's a live stream or if it's something he's going to put together later. I'm guessing it's a live stream because that's his style. But head over to um, Green Bay Packer Nation, pod, uh, Packernet, Packer Nation. The heck is it? I don't know why I'm such an idiot. I have to look it up every time. Every single time I have to look it up. Yeah, I had it right. Green Bay Packer Nation Facebook page. Um, he's going to be heading over to my place later this afternoon. We're going to be making smash burgers on my Weber grill. That's my understanding of what we're doing. So that should be pretty cool. And just talking about the Packers while, while we do that. So that'll be nice. I would also live stream that if I had the capability, but um, unless we want to live stream with my forward facing cell phone camera. Um, plus, I just, I don't want, I want to just hang out and eat burgers and have a good time. So that's what we're going to do. Um, I'll work on doing my own stuff at another time. Anyways, why don't we start off with what I didn't have time to do yesterday, um, which is to have the very uncomfortable quarterback conversation. The reason that I wanted to get started on this is because, first and foremost, I had started hearing rumors that Desmond Ritter, um, who is my quarterback one, not based on film, so it probably doesn't matter to 90% of you, but based on the project that I did, which uh, aggregates stats, grades, etc., and spits out grades, Ritter is not only number one, but kind of by a large margin, the number one quarterback. Um, So when I heard people say, uh, there's a ton of buzz about Ritter, which again, he's not moving up anyone's boards, at least not team board. So what's happening is they're finding out that there are teams that really, really like this guy and that he may go not only first round, but maybe potentially early to mid first round. I don't know that I've heard anything to suggest it may be QB1, in other words, the first one taken. But the thing with quarterback especially, but really any any position, is a lot of it comes down to preference. And I think we're going to see that especially this year. Um, You know, we've talked about like with wide receiver. Most people think Garrett Wilson is the clear number one. But it wouldn't be surprising if you, I mean, you have teams that covet speed so much if Jamison Williams went number one. That really wouldn't surprise me all that much. I mean, it would be, there's going to be a moment on the live stream that's like, whoa, that's crazy. Before Garrett, that's nuts. But really, it's not. Drake London, same thing. We've heard talks about him possibly being number one. Obviously, he adds the size element. Garrett Wilson is probably the better true, I guess, receiver, but he's he's a smaller dude. He doesn't have the Jamison Williams speed. He doesn't have the Drake London size. And and same is true with quarterback. I mean, there's something specific that you're looking for with your system, um, with your attitude, mentality, all that stuff. 
And so, you know, Malik is seen as sort of the number one guy, but a lot of that is based on teams wanting that sort of dual threat kind of a quarterback, which by the way, Ritter is also. In fact, if you go over to PFF and just look at run grades, Malik Willis is number one, Desmond Ritter is number 19. So they're both quite adept in that category. But either way, it really does sound very much like Desmond Ritter is going to comfortably be a first round pick. Now that depends on teams that actually want to take him. You know, you got to go through the teams and decide. I mean, maybe he is the first quarterback to go, but maybe one of the other two falls out of the first round. But either way, at this particular point in time, it sounds like there's three guys that are going to go in the first round. Whereas previously, I thought there was two that probably went before pick 22, which is great. Now there's potentially three, but there's even more information. Now, this is a much smaller contingent, but there there have been two different things that I've heard about a fourth quarterback that lead me to believe that maybe, possibly, potentially a fourth quarterback could go in the first round. And that is my guy, Mr. Matt Corral. I know I said Desmond Ritter is my guy, but that's my guy as far as the board is concerned. Des, uh, Matt Corral has been my personal guy for uh, over a year now. Probably, what, two years now? Because I was big on him last year before I realized he wasn't even like the main starter and wasn't even going to be, you know, in the draft, et cetera, et cetera. But I hung by my guns and, and Matt Corral's been my guy so much so that I'm contemplating officially changing my allegiance to becoming an Ole Miss fan. But that's, you know, my college football allegiance is worth very little. So, I mean, I, I sell that thing for a, a couple of sleeves of crackers. And so when you got Matt Corral and also you've got Ole Miss being about five minutes away from where Malcolm Reed, the barbecue guy is, and him being an Ole Miss fan, it's like, you know what? Sounds like a, that place sounds like a party to me. And I'm not even sure what I'm switching my allegiance from. Whether it's from the Badgers or from Alabama, I don't know. I, I, could, I couldn't tell you where my allegiance even lies right now. But the reason is um, it started with Benjamin Albright. Now, Benjamin Albright didn't necessarily say that he thinks he's going to be a first-round pick. In fact, he didn't say that at all. But what he did say is, I really do think Matt Corral could or will be the best quarterback out of this class when it's all said and done. In other words, whether he's taken in the first round or second round, I think he's going to be the best quarterback when we look back after three to five years. Now, obviously, that made me smile because that's also my personal thoughts, feelings, opinions. But the point is, you kind of wonder if anybody else thinks that. Because remember, we, we've got our, our, our big boards. And... Um, it's amazing to me, and it shouldn't be because this is just how the draft community is, but it, it's amazing to me how stuck on these boards that everyone knows is. And so if you even say anything like Matt Corral could potentially be a first-round pick, everyone's going to say, you're an idiot. I've, I've run multiple simulations, and that's never happened, which I've had people tell me stuff like that, and it's like, are you kidding me? Those simulations have nothing to do with reality whatsoever. I mean, I, maybe whatsoever is a little extreme. I mean, it has something to do with how things are going to go, but that, that's, that's uh, I, don't, I don't even know where to begin with that. But the idea that if it was going to happen, I would have seen it on a mock draft simulator by now is inaccurate. But then I was listening to a podcast yesterday. Um, I don't remember which one, ESPN or one of, the, one of the bigger ones. And they were just doing this sort of roundtable thing. And they had some really good things to say about Matt Corral about him being underrated, about him being one of the better quarterbacks, about him potentially being a first-round pick. And it really just kind of got the gears turning when you think about, you know, teams coveting that fifth-year option. When you think about teams that um, want to have that extra element of control, teams like the Baltimore Ravens that traded back into the first round to get a guy like Lamar Jackson, who was kind of seen as sort of the eh of the group, right? 
that was him. He was sort of the eh, maybe late first, early second kind of a kind of a quarterback. He's not one of the top tier guys like the rest of the guys. And those guys went boom, boom, boom. You know, one, two, three, or however many there were, and then last minute trade up into the first round. Right? Remember there was that that thing with Jair. He was being interviewed. Found out that somebody came up and got Lamar because they were teammates together, and he was jumping up and down, excited for him. Is it possible that a team trades up for Lamar? Now that. The reason why that's interesting, because it really doesn't impact us or potentially doesn't impact us if they're taken at 29, 30, 31, or 32, because it's after our second pick, and it's either way, he's probably going to go before our third pick, so it doesn't really matter, but there's a couple things here. Number one, obviously, if they trade up before the Green Bay Packers, and when I say they, there are multiple teams. Um, For example, the Detroit Lions pick at 2 and 32. They're probably not taking a quarterback at two, but at 32, they may be looking at a guy like Matt Corral. You've got a team like the Kansas City Chiefs with picks 29 and 30, so maybe they'd be willing to bring one of those back. Not really sure, but you've got teams like Houston at 37. Um, the Colts may be at 42. I know they just got Matt Ryan, but this would be a, a opportunity for him to sit and learn. You have Atlanta, and I think most importantly, and this is the one I'm really honing in on, is Seattle. Seattle has picks 40 and 41. They've got two picks just sitting right there. Seattle definitely needs a quarterback. Now, there's some talk that maybe Baker is headed there. Baker seems to think he's headed there. He just called them out by name. Like, that seems to be the most likely spot. But if not, is that a team that would trade up into the first round to maybe try to leapfrog some of these teams like Detroit and get up early enough to get their guy, Matt Corral? Now, as much as that would make me very sad because I like Corral and I can't stand Seattle... The other thought that I had that I couldn't shake is the Green Bay Packers and Matt Schneider, the Seattle Seahawks GM, our relationship and how we've um, had multiple trades back and forth over the years. We've worked with them a lot. Is that a possible trade-up scenario for the Seattle Seahawks to trade with the Green Bay Packers? Now, to be clear, we wouldn't get both second-round picks. What we would probably get is a second and a third-round pick. So we would get Seattle's. Um, probably pick 41 and then Seattle's pick 72. Um, So a relatively early second and a relatively early third. So we would have three second round picks and two third round picks. Now I know a lot of Packer fans don't want that, but I do think it seems to make a decent amount of sense to me. Now it's hard to project because even I am getting thrown into the whole what does the board say and what what do all these things say and what are my opinions on it and really that's kind of irrelevant because if the Packers are sitting there at 28 and they've got a guy that they think is the 19th best prospect that's still sitting there the only reason they didn't take him at 22 is because they had the 11th best prospect still sitting there or whatever the case may be they're going to sit and make the pick well there's nobody that would, would but we don't know what their board looks like for all we know Ebikadi to them is like the 23rd best prospect and so they took him Right, we don't know. Just because that's where the big boards that we look at don't stand doesn't mean anything. Right? Daxton Hill or Lewis Seen or and by the way, safety is really feeling like to me it's feeling like that second pick. I know Edge Rusher has been the thing, but the amount of hype for these safeties, first of all, how many of these guys are even going to be available? I'm starting to think Daxton Hill will not be there available at twenty eight, if even twenty two at this point. The 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 hype for him is insane. Uh Lewis Seen is through the roof, but whoever, Ebicady maybe Travis Jones, Jalen Petrie, maybe Christian Watson. Who knows how much they really, really like these guys? Quay Walker. I mean, I, I know linebacker is unlikely, but who's to say it's not? 
Jaquan Brisker, George Pickens, any of these guys, they they may end up just adoring them well beyond what we seem to think they're worth. But generally speaking, usually when you look at the difference between who we think is available at 28 and who we think will be available around 41, it's not a massive drop-off, right? We look at guys like Ajabo and Mafe and say we probably lose them. We look at Scene and say we probably lose them. Otherwise, I don't really know. And again, maybe not, because if we're picking at 42, you know, we know the pick that's coming up is for a quarterback, so we can scratch that off the list. The Chiefs are looking uh, dead at a wide receiver, so if we already got one of those and we're not really looking in that direction, should be fine. I just think there's a huge pile between almost like 20 and 40 that just, to me, doesn't have a massive gap. And again, some of these guys I think that are lower are should be a lot higher. Guys like, um, I think, Scene and Hill are probably higher than they're being ranked. You got uh, Mafe, maybe a Jabo too, despite his injury. These these four guys might end up going like early to mid-20s, not so much 30s in second round as is currently being projected. So just something to think about. Um, assuming we still have pick 28 at this point, we didn't trade it to move up or anything like that. Um, if we're still on the clock at 28, there's we need to keep an eye out for a team possibly coming up. We'll see how many quarterbacks are even available, but my contention is around 28, teams are starting to make calls about Matt Corral, not specifically, but about trading up. Because there's going to be teams that need a quarterback and don't have a quarterback and realize that once Matt Corral is off the board, there are no more quarterbacks worth even considering. So if Seattle, for example, which again is, is the most obvious scenario here, if Seattle is sitting there and they don't have Baker on their team or whatever the case is, they are headed for complete disaster. Now, they do have an option at pick nine to take a quarterback if they so choose, but obviously what I'm suggesting is is that they don't. And if they don't, what is the plan? If they do, even still, it contributes to a run on quarterbacks. With Carolina, Seattle, etc., there's several teams that could be looking at quarterback that are now going earlier than expected. And so now you got Willis, Pickett, and um, Ritter that um, you know could be gone by, I don't know, 15-ish. Because you've also got Houston in there, Minnesota's an option. Washington is an option. I think New Orleans is an option. Pittsburgh is obviously an option, despite some fans saying there's no chance. I mean, they, they desperately need a quarterback, and they've been whining and dining every quarterback possible. So it's certainly an option. But that's, that's going to play a, a big part in this. But anyways, we should probably bring up that final point about quarterbacks, and that is the, the possibility that the Packers do invest in a quarterback if they really, really, really did like a guy. Um, number one, there is the best player in a, uh, available scenario. Number two is, as Mark Murphy said, we have Aaron Rodgers on a year-to-year basis, meaning we only know he'll be here this year, and that's it. That is from Mark Murphy. The idea that we're not even considering it seems unlikely to me. Um, I do think that is the reason why we will not be trading Jordan Love. Because of the possibility, and it, it may only be a 10% chance, 15, whatever, but we know that the team has structured this in such a way that they have made this a year-to-year deal. We know that Aaron Rodgers had to think about retirement very, very strongly for a couple months just this year about whether he wanted to retire or wanted to leave. And so it is entirely possible this is it. This is the last year with Aaron Rodgers. And the question is, if there is a quarterback available that they love, if, Marat, if Matt Corral is available and they really think he's very good, which by the way, my description of Matt Corral when I watched him, when I was, when I was just bragging about him, when I could not stop talking about him, is he, isn't, he is a better version of Jordan Love. That's exactly what I thought he was. 
He has the similar style of quarterback to Jordan Love. He's just better. He's a better runner. He's a better thrower. He's more accurate. He's more of that, you know, um, when plays break down, kind of, kind of, you know, what I had said is if there's a Pat Mahomes in this class, it's Matt Corral. He just has that vibe. He's the guy that, uh, you know, the, the, the thing that I fell in love with when hit with him was a play in which he rolled out of the pocket, was getting hit, and as he was falling backwards, launches the most accurate pass I've ever seen in my entire life right into the guy's hands. And it, he made it look like it was like nothing. Like nothing. It's still one of the most impressive throws I've seen. I mean, it's, it's, it's somewhere mixed in with Aaron Rodgers' throws. It's probably not going to be his number one, but I mean, in his top 50, because Aaron Rodgers has like a billion of them, Matt Corral's would be mixed in there somewhere. But anyways, again, I don't think that, considering this is a weak quarterback class, considering we still have Aaron Rodgers, considering they're still not out entirely on Jordan Love, and they're still um, clearly, seemingly uh, invested in him as being, you know, if Rodgers leaves, he's our guy. For those reasons, I don't think quarterback is on their radar, at least very heavily. But again, the the question isn't really what do we think they want to do at quarterback. The question, the bigger question should be, based on what we know about, again, Rodgers is year to year, and Jordan Love has shown nothing. The Really, the only question is, what do they think of these quarterbacks? Clearly, they had a very high opinion of Jordan Love, and it was a, a higher opinion than a lot of the other um, teams. And beyond that, we, we talk about how the Packers don't value wide receiver the same as other teams value wide receiver. Therefore, they don't generally draft a lot of wide receivers, not because they don't value it, but because they don't value it as much as everyone else. So when it's their turn, everyone they like is already gone. Quarterback, that's not the case. I don't know that there's too many teams that value quarterback more than the Green Bay Packers, which is saying a lot because everybody values quarterback almost infinitely, right? There's Everyone acknowledges there is nothing on planet Earth, as far as building a football team, more important than a quarterback. Even still, the Packers are, I mean, again, tell me I'm wrong after watching that Jordan Love pick, because this is a team that says, I don't care if there is a really valuable quarterback, we want him on this team. And he was the most valuable position in football, and the best player on our board was sitting there, and we took it. And the, the idea that we wouldn't is insane. How do we know for sure that's not the case this year? Well, they wouldn't do that. They would, based, but that's the thing, though. Based on what... I'm trying to lay out a, a coherent thought process here. And what I've come to is the conclusion that what really matters is their opinion of these quarterbacks. And we don't know what that is. And so the more quarterbacks that are available, the higher the likelihood that the Packers are in on one of these guys. And may, listen, maybe there's, there's just the, the reality that they're so um, gun-shy. But here's the other problem. Right. Well, they took Jordan Love and look at the, the bad PR that they got for that. Look how that didn't pan out, et cetera, et cetera. Here's another problem you're going to have if, for those of you that are trying to find every excuse to, to tell me that there's no way they would do it to try to protect yourself emotionally. I understand it. But here's another problem and another hurdle you're going to have to jump. Of all the teams in the NFL, I don't know that there is a team that gives less of a crap about what you think of their picks than the Green Bay Packers. The vast majority of these teams have some vested interest in making their fans cheer after a pick. They love it, right? They want to sell tickets. They, they want the fans to be invested. They're fighting for fans. The Packers, nope, don't care. We're trying to build the best possible team. They knew for a fact Jordan Love would infuriate, infuriate the fans. 
did it anyways because they stick to what they do. They have a process. They're freaking robots in Green Bay, Wisconsin. They are robots. And personally, I love that they're robots. I don't want you to care what I think. I don't want you to care what the fans think. I don't want you to care what Twitter thinks. I don't want you to care about any of that nonsense. If you have the the um, thick skin to be able to handle the nonstop, overwhelming incessant hate that you're going to receive for doing what you think is the right thing, good for you, do it. I need you to do the right thing. You're hired because you know better than just about anybody else what the right thing is. I need you to do that right thing always. So I know it seems like it's it's a bad dream, and if it happens, it's something that we're any minute now going to wake up from, but I do think it needs to be discussed because, again, Every time I try to talk myself out of it, because it does seem ridiculous, like we just took a quarterback and it didn't work and, and we still have Aaron Rodgers and we, we're, we're clearly in win now mode and that doesn't contribute to win now and all, all these different things. Again, I come back to how do the Packers actually operate though? What is their actual mode of operation? And again, if, and it's unlikely that it'll even happen anyways, because again, it is a weak quarterback class, and it's strong in a lot of other areas. Strong at the edge rush position, which the Packers also covet. Strong at wide receiver, which they don't covet, but they do need. Um, strong at safety, which they clearly uh, value the position and have a need there. So it's it's still unlikely, but again, the, the question really just is, when the Packers are on the clock, how much do they value the quarterbacks? So I'm I'm just I'm just putting it out there. We're going to talk about it one time, and that's it. That's it. Anyways, this seems like a decent enough spot to take a break. Um, I actually do want to continue with what we uh, took a big break from because I do want to go through some more of these prospects as sort of a, a get to know you kind of a thing because I'm enjoying it. And also, we're just now starting to get to the prospects that we don't know very much about. So I'm excited to kind of rip through the second round and see what we can learn about some of these other prospects because again, keep in mind. Second round is still basically the first round in terms of potential first round picks for the Packers. In fact, based on recent history, especially if they're athletic, probably going to be in the second round, especially you talking pick 28. But um, uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and take a break. Please remember to visit A Modern Frontiers, a great place to buy some of yo meat. Also, we've got the uh, two GoFundMes that are active right now pinned to the top of my Twitter, as well as pinned to the top of the Packernet Podcast Facebook group, if you wouldn't mind Heading over there and uh, making a donation if you're able, that would be fantastic. If not, if you could share it around, that would also be beneficial. But we'll take a break and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. 
Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So next up on the list is a guy that I don't think we've talked nearly enough about. I think he does fit quite a few of the metrics that the Packers like. For example, again, we've had our defensive line coach flat out come out and say, I would love to get a third down pass rushing defensive tackle to help out on our team. Now, coaches don't get to make these decisions, but when you're looking at a guy that kind of fits that prototype, um, kind of has that like Dean Lowry build, you know, you're really tall and kind of lean and you're more of just a third down pass rusher, say 6'6", 283. Talking about a guy like Logan Hall out of Houston. Now, again, I've never really personally been very big on these types of guys, but I do think there's a spot on the team for a guy like Logan Hall. I think the Packers do have a spot on, on the team. We've just had it occupied for a very long time. But that doesn't mean they don't look for the replacement. But uh, Logan Hall, six foot six, two eighty three, twenty two years old, just turned twenty two. His RAS is a nine point four, so he's got the athleticism. Um, defensive tackle obviously is is a premium enough position for the Packers, so there there really aren't any boxes that he doesn't check, in my opinion. Logan Hall grew up in a military family. Both of his parents are retired and relocated several times throughout his childhood. He started playing football at age nine at the Pee Wee level before moving to Oklahoma prior to middle school. He spent six years there before relocating to Belton, Texas, about an hour north of Austin. After his freshman year of high school, Hall enrolled at uh, Belton High and played defensive end as a sophomore, splitting his time between varsity and junior varsity in 2015. Moved up to varsity full-time as a junior and started on the defensive line, posting 36 tackles, four tackles for a loss, 2.5 sacks to earn all district honors. As a senior, Hall finished with 54 tackles, 10 tackles for a loss, two sacks. He also ran track at Belton and set personal bests. Not going to read all that stuff, but um, he did 110-meter hurdles, 300-meter hurdles, uh, long jump, triple jump is what he did. As a senior, Hall set personal bests in discus as well. A three-star recruit out of high school, Hall was number 109 weak side defensive end in the 2018 recruiting class and the number 290 recruit out of the state of Texas. His Belton teammate Garrison Vaughn committed to Houston, and Hall decided to do the same, committing the summer before his senior year. Hall heard from Texas shortly before signing day, but his mind was made up on Houston over Bowling Green, Colorado State, Toledo, and Tulsa. He accepted his invitation to the 2022 Senior Bowl. Um... 20 let's see so 2018 2019 he played but didn't really start very much 2020 played eight started eight and then 2021 played 13 started 12 uh in 2021 he was the first team all aac led team in tackles for a loss blocked field goals and missed the bowl game due to an elbow injury um he ran a 48840 which a sub five for a defensive lineman is always solid Looking at his summary, it says um, overall Hall has some tweener traits and lacks consistency, but with additional coaching, he can be a matchup weapon thanks to his athletic versatility, uh, body length, and disruptive nature. He projects as an NFL starting edge rusher who can slide inside in sub packages. I generally see him as just sort of that tall, lanky 
purely defensive tackle type, but who knows? Who knows what they're going to end up doing? I suppose, you know, again, in sort of those sub packages where you got guys, um, four guys hand in the dirt, maybe. If you want to get creative with guys like Rashawn or whatever, maybe. But I tend to think it would be generally, um, assuming this guy's good and we're talking the, the best four, it's going to be Preston, Kenny, Logan Hall, Rashawn Gary. Next up, pass rusher Arnold Ebikati. That is how you pronounce it, by the way. Katie is in the, the lady's name, Ebba KT. One of four children born in Yoandi, Cameroon, the same hometown as NBA All-Star Joel Embiid, before moving to Washington, D.C. area at the age of 12 because of his father's job. He worked at the Cameroon Embassy, which is interesting. He grew up playing soccer in Cameroon and gravitated toward basketball, track, and soccer, his first love in the United States. After spending his freshman year at Richard Montgomery High, Abikati transferred to Albert Einstein High, which is in Maryland, and tried football for the first time as a sophomore. After posting 14 tackles for a loss, 9.5 sacks as a junior linebacker, he finished with 36 tackles and 21 sacks as a senior and earned honorable mention All-Metro honors. As a slot receiver on offense, Abikati recorded 298 receiving yards and three touchdowns in 2016. He also lettered in track and basketball, averaging 6.5 points and 9.7 rebounds as a power forward in his career. He was a three-star recruit out of high school. Ebikati was the number 138 outside linebacker in 2017 recruiting class, number 33 recruit in the state of Maryland. His recruitment got a late start as he learned the game and put on weight, just under 200 pounds as a senior. Ebikati initially received several FCS offers and committed to Townsend, but several FBS programs showed interest in the month before signing day, and he flipped to Temple. After his first season as a starter in 2020, Hebekati graduated with his degree in advertising and brand strategy, that's crazy, and entered the transfer portal. Hebekati said, I need to challenge myself a bit more. He received interest in Boston College, Florida State, Texas, Washington, and other schools, and initially decided on Miami before choosing Penn State and enrolling in January 2021. Abikati opted out of the 2021 bowl game and accepted his invitation to the 2022 Senior Bowl. That is quite a path. So in 2017, he redshirted for Temple. 2018, he played six games, didn't start for Temple. 2019, played 12 games, didn't start any for Temple. In 2020, played six, started six for Temple, was second team All-AAC, led the team in tackles for a loss, sacks, and forced fumbles, and had a fumble return touchdown. Then he graduates from Temple, gets a degree, and says, I want to actually play one more year of college football, goes to a completely new program, Penn State, which is a large program, plays all 12 games, starts all 12 games um, for Penn State, second team All-American, first team All-Big Ten, led the team in tackles for a loss, sacks, two, had two blocked field goals. So another guy that, again, it's just the well-roundedness, the discipline, um, just really, really impressive stuff. Um, overall, Ebikati needs to improve his refinement as a rusher and re- reliability versus the run, but he is a long, twitched-up athlete with a motor and mentality to develop into a starting NFL pass rusher. So the problem I'm having now is keeping track of who we've already talked about, so this is kind of devolving a little bit. Um, I started talking about one prospect, and I'm about 55-60% sure I've already talked about him. Again, I'm using the big board, but the problem is he keeps updating the big board and people keep moving up and down the board. Um, I would be surprised if we did Travis Jones because he, like, how did we get this far into the second round? But there's several things that I read and I did do this and then I went back and deleted it that I'm pretty sure that sound very familiar to me. So I'm going to skip it. And I'm sorry if we didn't talk about him, but I'm just something about New Haven, Connecticut. 
and the fact that he was a center and then moved to defensive tackle, maybe they're all just starting to blend together because they do similar things. But we're going to skip them either way. I'm going to scroll down to Jalen Petrie because none of this sounds familiar. So here we are. Uh, Jalen Petrie, 22.9 years old, um, 5'11", 198. He weighed 195 at his pro day. Runs a 4.46, so he's got decent speed, athleticism. Kind of an undersized guy, but not really. I mean, it's funny because if if, if he was six foot two hundred, it's like that's exactly what every safety is. This guy's 5'11", 198, so he's one inch shorter and two pounds lighter, and it's like eh, a little on the lighter side. No, he's exactly six foot two hundred, dude. Jalen Petrie, who has an older brother, grew up in Stafford, about twenty miles southwest of Houston, and played multiple sports through middle and high school. He was a four star letterman in basketball, football, track, and soccer. At Stafford High, uh, starting three seasons on varsity in football. As a sophomore, Petrie posted 78 tackles, six tackles for a loss, and six interceptions, one of those for a touchdown as a free safety. He added 133 rushing yards and three touchdowns on offense. His junior season was cut short by an ACL injury, finishing 41 tackles in 200 uh, in 2015. My goodness. I slept in and I didn't drink coffee because I'm trying to be like, you know, I'm, I'm going to see if I can get through without having caffeine because I got like 11 hours of sleep. But now I have a headache because I'm missing caffeine. And it's like, you know what? No, you're not getting any. You don't need it. You're not tired. You got plenty of sleep. We're not doing this. But I'm, I'm clearly struggling. As a senior linebacker, Petrie returned from his knee injury and earned district MVP honors with 83 tackles, seven tackles for a loss, six interceptions, and had four forced fumbles. A three-star recruit out of high school, Petrie was the number 76 safety in the 2017 recruiting class and the number 137 recruit in the state of Texas. He committed to Baylor over SMU the summer before his junior season. After Art Bryles was fired in May 2016, most 2017 Baylor commits, such as Kellen Mond and Baron uh, Browning, flipped to other schools, but Petrie was the, lo- uh, was the lone Bryles recruit to stay committed to Baylor, citing academics and religious reasons. After three seasons at linebacker, he switched to hybrid safety role under coach Dave Aranda. How are you going to bail on Aranda, dude? His older brother, Jarek, played defensive back at Blinn Community College and FCS Incarnate Word. Uh, Petrie graduated with his degree in business and recently completed completed his master's in educational psychology, whatever that is. He accepted his invitation to the 2022 Senior Bowl. Overall, Petrie has only average speed but projects best as a big nickel in a role that takes advantage of his athletic versatility, spatial awareness, and competitive urgency. He'll be an immediate special teamer and has NFL starting potential. Slot corner slash safety slash special teamer? I mean, it's kind of iffy for a second-round pick, but I'm just saying. Next up, we've got one of the most polarizing prospects in the draft as far as Packer fans. It seems like there's only two camps, people that really love him and people that really hate him. Um, But actually, that's not true. There is a third camp, and it's my camp, and it's called, I don't know, man. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's how I feel about almost every single prospect. I don't know if it's this new strategy of like trying to like everybody. And so I kind of do, but then kind of fail at the same time. And so everybody's just kind of a blend of like, eh, I don't know. Still to this day, and we're only a couple of weeks away, to this day, I don't have a single prospect that would make me do backflips. I know I say that I would do backflip because I'd be excited about a lot of these guys, but like actually, like this is my guy and I would be just over the moon. I don't think there's one, including Devontae Wyatt, because you guys have got me so worked up about the 24 year old nonsense. I can't get into it anymore. There's not a single pass rusher that I think is just genuinely elite elite. Even Jermaine Johnson, I kind of went back and watched a lot of his stuff, and he's good. I like him, but I don't know. Wide receivers, there's not one that I just absolutely love. 
I like Alave. I like Drake London. I like Traylon Burks. I like Christian Watson. But meh. Honestly, if, if there's anyone I love, it's probably going to end up either being a safety or a linebacker, which is kind of sad. But anyways, Christian Watson, North Dakota State, 6'4", 208, Tampa, Florida, 22.96 years old. So he's pushing 23, folks. We got, uh, let's see, how many weeks until his birthday? About three weeks till his birthday he turns 23. Christian Watson, who has four siblings and grew up in Tampa, Florida, and started playing football at age three. By the way, this is a guy that's going to be trying to force his way to Tampa someday. I'm just saying. He attended HB Plant High, where he played with several future FBS recruits like Fop, uh, Wap Filer, Thomas Allen, and Micah McFadden, all three committed to Indiana. A late bloomer physically, he earned a spot on a varsity and junior wide receiver uh, as a junior wide receiver and safety and hit a four-inch growth spurt after the season. That's insane. As a senior, Watson helped lead Plant to a 13-1 record, losing to the 2016 Class 7A state title game to St. Thomas Aquinas. He finished his senior year with 23 catches for 393 yards, 17.1 average, and eight touchdowns while also returning kicks. Watson also lettered in track and set personal bests in the 200-meter and long jump. He was a two-star recruit out of high school. He was the number uh, 501 wide receiver in the 2017 recruiting class, 536 out of the state of Florida. With very little production and film in his first three years of high school, he wasn't being recruited to play college football, but Watson was a late developer, and North Dakota State stumbled upon him in the spring of 2016 when he was physically maturing into a high-level receiver. The FCS powerhouse offered him uh, in the summer, and Watson committed weeks later before the start of the senior year. By the way, I want to pause here because... And I kind of had this discussion with Mr. Numberman as well. It was more about age than anything else, but it also kind of comes from, you know, the the complication is we look at North Dakota State and we say, well, clearly he's not very good, right? I mean, he's better than everybody else, but he's not that good. And if he was, he would have been at Ohio State or Alabama or, or LSU or some major program, but he's not. And And even though we understand that that's not exactly true, there is a part of the back of our head that says that. But I think there are certain situations where sometimes people fall through the cracks. And this is an example of a guy that, you know, he went from probably six foot, 170 pounds and not being all that great, you know, a, guy, a smaller guy with some speed, to a six foot four, 210 pound monster with blazing speed. But I mean, he, although he went to the state championship, they didn't win. So, you know, I don't know how many highlight reels he was on, how many teams noticed him. And to be honest, if you're, you know, Alabama, Ohio State, et cetera, et cetera. Even if you catch wind of the guy, you've got so many top end prospects. You're not looking on some some flyer that kind of had a couple, you know, a half a good season or whatever. It was a real good kick returner and seems to be tall and fast or whatever. But I I don't know. I I can't see anything. So it is nice to kind of see the specifics. Um, there's still a question of why didn't he transfer? Um, maybe it didn't come up. Maybe he chose not to. I don't know. Would things have been different had he gone to a different school? At the very least, we'd be able to see him against better competition. But Anyways, it's, it's, again, it's nice to hear the, the background. FBS program started to show interest, but Watson shut down his recruitment after committing to North Dakota State. Well, there you go. His father, Tazim Wajed, formerly known as Tim Watson, played defensive back at Howard and was a six-round pick in 1993 NFL draft by the Green Bay Packers. Wait a minute. <laughs> what? His dad was a Packer. Did anybody know that? Alrighty. Tim Watson. Let's uh, take a gander at that guy. Six foot two, 214 pound defensive back, born in Fort Valley, Georgia. Played college at Howard. Uh, high school was Peach County, Georgia. Drafted by the Green Bay Packers in the sixth round. Right there, relative's son, Christian Watson. 
It looks like he was drafted by the Packers, but he didn't play for the Packers. 1993, he ended up playing for the Kansas City Chiefs um, through 1995. Uh, during 1995, he was sent over to the Giants, and then in 97, played for Philadelphia. Anyways, his older brother, Trey, played linebacker at Illinois from 2014 to 2017, and Maryland in 2018 for the uh, Montreal Alouettes in the CFL. His uncle, Cedric, played defensive end at Marshall in the mid-1990s. His cousin, Jordan Sparks, is a Grammy Award-winning singer. This reminds me of when I found out Jake Kumaro was like cousins uh, with the with the Boses. <laughs> like, I'm not sure who Jordan Sparks is, but that does sound familiar. I have a feeling um, she's extremely well known, but I'm not positive about that. But anyways, Watson graduated with his degree at the, uh, in university studies. He accepted his invitation to the 2022 Senior Bowl. All right, so. 2017, he redshirted. 2018, played four, started two. 2019, played 16, started 11. That's when he first started to kind of pop off over there. Second team, all MVFC, led the team in receiving. 2020, played 10, started eight. First team, all American. First team, all MVC, led the team in receiving two kick return touchdowns, which tied NDSU's single season record. 2021, played 12, started 10. Second team, all American. First team, all MVFC. Led the team in receiving, missed three games with a hamstring injury. Overall, Watson is unpolished as a route runner and must improve his consistency at the catch point, but he is an intriguing size speed athlete with the explosiveness to win vertically. He projects as a wide receiver four as a rookie with wide receiver two upside and offers kick return experience. That last part is not anything any Packer fan wants to hear. <laughs> I'm sorry. We have plenty of wide receiver twos that we can turn to, um, and I certainly don't want to take a kick returner in the uh, in the second round. Now, is it possible that we take a guy like this after taking someone in the first round? Sure, right? I mean, I don't mind a number two if we can find a number one, but we got to find a number one first. Now, that's not to say that this is, you know, gospel truth. Maybe he could be a number one, but um, I, I'm just reading it, man. I don't know. All right, I'm going to do one more, and I'm actually going to skip down to Perry and Winfrey uh, because it's my podcast and I can do what I want, and I choose to read about the guy that went to my high school. All right? Six foot three, two ninety. He's twenty one point seven years old. Lived in Maywood, Illinois. Went to Lake Park High School. I've been to. I went to two high schools: Streamwood and Lake Park. Uh, Perry and Winfrey grew up in West Chicago before his mother Chantel Walker moved them to the suburbs. He played. Uh, he started playing football in the fifth grade and attended Lake Park High, where he was a three year letterman, playing defensive end and defensive tackle on on defense and tight end on offense. Winfrey earned All Conference honors as a junior with thirty two tackles, seven sacks. As a senior, he finished with 43 tackles, 8 sacks, again earning all-conference honors. A three-star defensive tackle recruit out of high school, Winfrey was the number 128 defensive tackle and 2018 recruiting class in the number 49 recruit in the state of Illinois. I feel like that sentence didn't make sense, but uh, we're powering through it. He received an offer from Virginia Tech and interest from dozens of other Power 5 programs, but his academics made him a non-starter for most teams. After not qualifying for Division I, Winfrey attended Iowa Western Community College, where he posted 27 tackles, 10 tackles for a loss, 4 sacks as a freshman. As a sophomore, he finished with 28 tackles, 13 tackles for a loss, 5.5 sacks. A four-star JUCO recruit, Winfrey was the number one defensive tackle and number one JUCO recruit overall in the 2020 recruiting class. He received scholarship offers from Alabama, LSU, Penn State, Texas, and others before committing to Oklahoma. Winfrey opted out of the 2021 bowl game and accepted his invitation to the 2022 Senior Bowl, earning game MVP honors. 
2018 and 19, he was at Iowa Western Community College. 2020, uh, he played 11 and started eight at Oklahoma. Second team, all Big 12 and blocked a field goal. 2021, played 12, started 12. Oklahoma, second team, all Big 12, opted out of the bowl game. Overall, Winfrey needs to improve his pad level and play discipline, but his size, energy, and the power in his hands helped him to terrorize blockers. He has NFL starting level traits. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of Perry and Winfrey. Um, I do think there are some, it's maybe unfair to say off the field. I thought there was more to it than what I just read. Maybe I'm wrong, but I thought there was some more off the field or maybe at the very least personality concerns with Winfrey. But um, again, I don't know that. That was just what I thought I had heard. But um, certainly some question marks. But the good thing is he's young, right? He only has two years of actual experience at Oklahoma, but um, 21 years old gives you that opportunity to kind of mold him in the way that you want. And if it takes him until year three, he'll be 23 years old at that time. So you're getting him at the age that a lot of guys that we want to draft today, whereas he's in his third year, just starting to figure it out. So anyways, I'm going to leave it at that, um, partially because I just have a lot to do and it's kind of getting late and this not coffee thing is killing me. And I got to get this place cleaned up, et cetera, et cetera. So you guys have yourselves a fantastic Saturday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.